0: Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Adele McDonald, customer and origination lead at ANZ Plus, a bank in Australia and New Zealand. So some key takeaways and thoughts from Adele's point of view. Number one, to drive buy-in, the one-on-one conversations with the domain owners, you know, the business leaders, you will have to tailor your conversations to each person. Listen to their pain and reflect it back to them. Don't try and use the same approach to everybody. Amara Gafur talked about doing that the same. Number two, focus on an ability to quickly pivot with low cost. That can mean things aren't as product worthy to start, but it means you can evolve towards value more quickly. Number three, addressing domain owners pain points gets them looking at you as a partner. They will be much more willing to work with you, especially as you partner to provide actionable insights. Number four, somewhat controversial, ANZ Plus is embedding data leads into domains to handle the data quanta for the domain and also build the for the team what they need from data. As part of that, they are slowly building up the domain's capabilities to handle their own data. This minimizes friction and creates buy-in but is likely not long-term sustainable. Ownership will need to be transferred into the domain. You know They're creating the capabilities and the toolings and teaching the domains how they could own certain aspects of data and they're just feeding them more and more over time. Number five, it's very important to tie the data quanta to use cases. Driving value for users means focusing on use cases. Number six, Developers or software engineers owning data is complicated. Make it so they can start to make small changes and learn in a safe way instead of dumping all ownership on them at once. Ownership and knowledge aren't a switch you flip. Number seven, using a Git based, you know, something like GitHub pull request approach, developers can attempt data work without manual stitching so they learn to do the work themselves. But it can still be easily overseen you know, via a pull request by someone with more data expertise. It's kind of the best of both worlds. Number eight, one way to potentially drive executive buy-in is joint or collaborative KPIs. So it's not just about their own domain's results, but how well they work and drive results with another domain. Number nine, again, another one that's kind of controversial, it's okay to have a data asset with murky long-term ownership at first. If usage picks up, you want to convert it to a proper data quantum, but we need to be able to test the waters with things and see if they're actually useful first before investing in them and, and building them out to that full data quantum level. Clarity comes from usage. Number 10, when creating anything Data-related, use a Software Development Lifecycle, or SDLC, approach. Domains may create something exclusively internal to the domain, but once you look to share externally, you have rules and standards and best practices. Move from the pipeline approach to the software approach to data. Number 11, automatically generated documentation can considerably help with governance. You have it in the same repo and it can handle a large part of explaining what is happening with the data to make other decisions easier. Number 12, automate your governance checklist as much as possible. So you prevent the manual work of governance. No gates, it's simple checks as they're going along. That's a winning low friction way to govern and to get people bought in that governance isn't a big pain. Finally, number 13, When you don't automate your governance checklist, domains often feel they need to invent or buy the tooling to comply with governance. Make it just no friction to check through automation means far less complexity and fewer issues. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very very excited for today's episode. I've got Adele McDonald here, who's the customer and origination lead at ANZ, and we're going to be talking about a, a lot of different topics. We're going to start kind of with one of the big ones that a lot of people have uh, been asking for and have been somewhat frustrated around of, like just driving buy-in. Like, how do we actually start to approach these different personas and and think about that? Um, and then, you know, a lot of different aspects about like some advice for those people that are frustrated with their data lake and how do we actually liberate data? What does that mean? You know, we talk about, okay, we need the domains to be owning the data and we need to have all this access, but what does that actually look like and, and how can that, that actually help us? How can we get a data mesh implementation the a setup to set us on the path? for getting to business value much quicker. Like, how do we actually do that? How do you move to focusing on the longer term wins too, not just the quick, quick wins? Um, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about um, actually delivering value to your business partners and uh, you know what that means and how important that is. And then uh, building reusable data APIs. And then as well, how do you maintain good governance while removing governance as the bottleneck? So. But that is kind of the introduction, Uh, Adele, if you don't mind, if you could give people a little bit of uh, uh, an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm Adele, I am an avid uh, engineer, I love um, solving business problems with technology. um, And I get to do that um, for, I've been able to do that for lots of companies, um, but mainly in the finance industry. And so, um, you know, the thing that I really love about it is that um, by helping my um, business partners, we actually get to make people's dreams come true. Everybody goes to a bank, they're either saving for something or they're, um, they want to buy a home. And so um, as, a, as a technical executive, I get to actually um, build tech and work on a platform with a great bunch of people uh, to make other people's dreams come true. So that's a pretty exciting job.
0: Yeah, that's uh, something that it's kind of nice to be able to have a mission around that or have that that nice feeling as to what is the impact of, of my work. And so, um, so you know, we were looking at talking about this this big uh, kind of hairy question that's, that's difficult for a lot of folks in Data Mesh about driving buy-in. And when we were talking about this um, in our pre-call, we were talking about how it's very important to kind of adapt it for... The persona and of course you're going to have to do things a little bit differently based on what that person's you know actual uh you know their um characteristics are you know what what is their personality like and <laughs> what's going to drive them but that you're you're finding kind of in general what you've worked on historically um not just for data mesh but like working with these people and getting kind of buy-in with them how that works so um, if you wanted to, to talk about buy-in broadly, we can start there. If we wanted to talk with kind of the ones that, that, that's the big, big problem, which is the domain owners, or wh- where would you like to start with that kind of general conversation?
1: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Like, it's completely and utterly about tailoring. Like, each, each role in an organization has a mission that they need to accomplish, and it's about how do we work with and integrate their needs into, you know, driving an outcome, And so I find, you know, with domain owners, they've got goals, they've got, you know, business things that need to be done. And so, you know, really spending the time to understand what it is that they need to drive, especially metrics. I mean, metrics is such a great thing for data. Um, You know, if you're there to be able to go, okay, um, you're trying to achieve X, Y, and Z, you know, how would you measure that? And then, you know, you focus first on how you would get those metrics to them so that they can be there to run their business and trying to get that as real-time as possible because that means that they're they're able to communicate what's working and what's not working Um, and not only that, they are able to then use insights to drive business decisions and, you know, the sooner they have that data, um, you know, the more likely they are to make better decisions, right? They need this data. that reason and so i think you know having those conversations really helps um, to to see them as a partner like they see you as a partner to enable what they need to get done and of course all executives love reports you know i'm pretty sure uh in many many organizations there's still some people compiling manual reports uh, for executives so that they can Um, you know, answer some tough questions or um, understand, you know, where things are happening, especially, um, you know, if you you run an analytical or a financial organization, you you need to have that data. And so, it's always about um, being really clear about, you know, what the meaning of the data is um, and, you know, is that information really providing them value? Um, and so part of the conversation um, of driving, by, driving buy-in is, you know, are you actually able to action the information that you've got or are you getting it too late? Um, and so those sorts of questions can really help them to go, actually, I am getting it too late. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting it the same time as my regulator or I'm getting it, you know, and and that really means that um, you're able to have open conversations about, you know, does what data matters and, you know, what do we prioritize first? And then even, you know, from where I sit, um, you know, I have this amazing team of um, data experts and they are—they know their stuff. They are like uber amazing and I'm really privileged to work with them. Um, but sometimes there's things, you know, as an asset owner, I need to get my data out and maybe we don't know enough information about, you know, what are they trying to achieve? And so it's really about going in and saying, you know, what are you trying to achieve? Um, you know, what things are on your roadmap that you need to get so that you've got enough data quantum to make a difference? And what can I do and how can how can we make it easier for us to, you know, get the data out of our assets in a way that you, you can then use it? And, you know, I've had some really good conversations about that because, you know, I've been able to go back and say, well, you know, we need a pattern, you know, we need a we need a, you know, clear patterns on how we can actually take things out of different types of architecture and get it into the, into the space that you need. And Hey, by the way, what data do you need? Do you need all of it? Cause that's, you know, what we do. We're like, oh, we'll just send you everything. No problem. We'll send you everything. They're like, no, no, we want, we want context. We need context. And so having those conversations means that we're like, oh, okay, no problem. We'll, you know, maybe we need a different pattern for you to have context, you know, for, for, for example, in Google, you know, maybe we need a Kraken data pipe and, or, you know, we, you know, in Amazon, we, you know, we might actually decide to do, you know, Lambda functions, um, you know, to, to have like smaller, more contextual bits of data, And then working with them on, you know, um, how the domain owner would need that data and, you know, then the larger quantum for, um, you know, governance reporting, whatever.
0: So one aspect, I think a lot of what you talked about there of talking to the domain owners, it's about them leveraging their own information, right, versus, hey, we need this for the broader organization, which has been kind of the thing that a lot of people are frustrated about of going to a domain and just saying, you need to give us all the information we need, because you need to do that. And then the domains don't do that. They're like, well, how do I get to that? Like, is it that building process of like, hey, domain, we're going to get you bought in, we're, we're gonna, you know, please pay it back, but we're going to really help you deliver on what you need first. And we're going to build that partner relationship. And then we're going to start to say, hey, this thing that you've got other people need it." or like, how, how are you having that conversation and kind of moving them further yeah. along the you're part of the greater whole, not just your own domain?
1: Yeah. Well, I think this, I mean, this is, you know, part of the beauty of, you know, the data mesh and, and you know, why I got really excited about it is because you're taking local data. So you've got the data with the context. And so, as you move that into the domain, you know, there has to be this connection of um, a shared connection with the data team and the domain owner that that data, while the domain data is for the domain owner, um, you know, the copy or the um, particular data product um, or quantum that you that you need for the rest of the organization, that is, you know, that integrated data product, that is definitely the the stuff that, you know, we want our data teams to be driving. And so having a really good connection between your, you know, data leads, um, you know, and I'm not sure if all organizations are set up for this, but it's effectively like having a TAM within your own organization to work with the domain so that, you know, that integrated data product is enabled, but we're not necessarily asking the domain owner to put the effort into giving to the enterprise, which previously, you know, and I guess this comes back to people frustrated with their data lake. Previously, it would go into this black hole And, you know, there's all this transformation that was going on and, you know, there'd be questions and answers constantly to, you know, our business partners about, you know, particular data, but there was no outcome for the business person. So all this effort was going in, but they didn't actually have something to drive their business first. And so I feel like, why this is so exciting is that the people who need the data get the data first in the context as local as possible and then you know in parallel it's going into this integrated um, delivery and so i think it's about the relationships between your data your integrated data team and the domain owner
0: so if i can kind of sum that up because i think this is a, a A uh, somewhat unique um, angle on it. It's what you're saying is that almost the domain owner doesn't know that the even though the domain is consuming its own data, they don't know that there is necessarily even a data product in and of itself or a data quantum created, right? That that you you're putting a data lead into this team. You're taking that you know you're you're embedding them or. You're fully on um, having them report into them. I don't know exactly how you're doing that, but Make you're sticking trees. that. per It's it, it mix and match. Is that <laughs> yeah? Um, okay, so with that, you know, it's it's kind of depending on the need whether you're embedding or you're actually putting that into the the uh, org itself. But um, then that person is kind of in charge of putting together the reusable, you know, data quantum the or that other domains can leverage, that there is that aspect of that. Um, are you doing it as kind of these source-aligned data products or are you doing it as um, the, the consumer, like the specific use cases, or is it just kind of you're, you're figuring that out as it's going? Or
1: Yeah, I think we figure it out as we go. There are some things we know that we need an integrated data product, and so that sort of moves away necessarily from source. Um, when it's, um, when we look at our local data product, obviously the people who are closest to it then, you know, um, can create their own integrated data product. Um, and so it's mix and match. It really depends on, uh, the organization that you're working for and how, how well you can do that. Because, um, if, if I look at a traditional bank, You've got the the source so far away from the business um, that you know that ends up needing central data, you know, and and it, I mean that's how data lakes ended up really because you know the actual two things were so far apart. Whereas you know organizations are adjusting, um, and and so depending on where they're at in those adjustments, you will find that. Uh, you know some teams will be able to de- they might have multiple sources in a particular area and they would be able to get that integrated data product and then share that with the data team or alternatively you you might still have some of your organization doing something else um just just depends but i think you know this comes back down to what we were discussing before about the intent um and the intent is that the business gets the data as soon as possible to be able to make decisions. And, you know, um, however you can do that with the least amount of, um, you know, handoffs, the better.
0: So, I mean, it almost sounds like you don't have to, it's, it's not very hard to drive buy-in with the domain owners in your setup because you're not asking for a ton of extra work from their domain. Um, yeah. But that, that can, in the end, mean that you don't have the full context, because the people who really know the information, not the data, you know, the data team knows the data best, but the people who own who know the information, you know, what is this actually about, are in that domain? Are you finding that, that the the data leads are able to siphon a little bit more time as things are going on and, and, and enrich that data quantum and, and that kind of aspect or...
1: Yeah, I think that's the evolution, right? Like the, you know, as you start to, and and we have to be prepared for this continual evolution because, you know, as um as a business operates, um and the data provides information, the business changes their um, direction, right? Like, let's say for instance, you know, people um, decide that they want to buy a. a you know, purple T-shirts more than blue T-shirts. Like that data means that someone makes a decision um, and things change in the business as rapidly as required to, you know, remain relevant. And so, you know, having a connection between the domain owner and your data team, especially your data analytics team, is really important because that context is then shared Um, And it's about how you then use that context to work with, you know, wider data quantum um, to keep the context but actually enrich it. And so I feel like, you know, when we look at these things, everybody sort of comes out with these technical plans and um, a whole bunch of technology. But actually there's a lot of um, people and relationships involved in making sure that we keep and communicate context. Um, And the moment that we start adding, you know, like huge process over these things, um, we actually find that it slows everything down. So the governance, you know, of what we're building you know needs to be built in. It needs to be built in in ways that if we make a change, a technology change, let's say, based on a business decision, that we actually are building in ways to keep that context and and have that flow through to the larger data quantum.
0: yeah. and and that's that's a really interesting approach because it it sounds like you still kind of have a centralized data team, but kind of not, right? It's and so, um, you know, but you know, and that centralized data team can become a bottleneck. It sounds like you're what you're doing right now, it's not because you're, you know, it's early stages and that you're not saying, okay, we need you know, 50 different data quanta from this domain or anything like that. And so it's a good way to get going and, and get out there and deliver on value and that you understand, that this setup is probably not your setup five years from now, but you can evolve towards that, that the cost of change you're setting, you're, like you said, you're building yourself in the capability to evolve and that the persistence is not in the technology or anything exactly like that, but the persistence is in the context sharing, <laughs> right? And that the yeah. persistence is in the relationships and, and doing that aspect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when we we look at, you know, we've got data if if I break it really simple, if we've got data storage and that data storage has always been centrally driven and you've got a really large organization overnight you're not going to necessarily change everything straight away. You can't just get everybody to stop what they're doing, stop running the business and have this, you know, miraculous Thing and so you know, being prepared for change, um, and being open and making sure that you have that um, that great context sharing, just means that you're able to evolve, and and with that you know, prioritization has to come from you know the data that you're sharing with people, and so it's really important. You know, if people and I, I guess this comes back to, you know, people being frustrated with their data lake setup. You don't have to then all of a sudden pay for five like, five data setups, um, and you, you can literally go, "What's the most important thing for us as a business right now?" Whether that's at the highest level, or it's at a domain level, or it's even just at an asset level, um, what's the most important information that we need? today and start there. And then if that helps you to drive better business outcomes faster, then, you know, you're going to either create capacity or revenue, all of these things that you need to move forward, um, you know, with your plan.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think a lot of what you're talking about is there is a desire for a hard cut, right? And, And there's a desire as well for a um, a kind of a planning stage and then a here is our blueprint here is the picture and here is the th- versus iteration because the cost of of change process and technology and capabilities and all of that in data has been so expensive right you think about the data warehouse you think about getting your schema just right and how it's already kind of starting to fall apart even before you really get it into production um, but that the cost of changing that schema has been so expensive versus you have things where things are going to change and you have an attitude of we're going to accept change, right? Like it's, it's that whole thing of grant me the, um, the, the strength or the will to change what I can, the, um, acceptance to, to, uh, you know, accept what I can't change and the wisdom to know the difference between or whatever that, that quote is. And so like, I, I think a lot of what you're saying is, you can use a lot of the data mesh principles and not be exactly what people would consider we're doing, you know, this is the end state of a data mesh versus we're moving forward. We're moving quickly. We're learning a lot. We're iterating and we're testing and we're getting better faster and we're getting better faster as, as a business, but we're also getting, because we're having better data flow, but we're also getting better faster as a data team to figure out how to do this for each incremental thing that we're doing
1: yeah absolutely uh, like i i think y- you can lay plans and and this comes to all technology not just data like you could lay plans today but you know in 6 months there might be some you know genius thing <laughs> that you need to think of and and the cost to pivot if you're not pre- prepared and you and you've put in these large scale Plans, you know, can be detrimental. So by being, you know, having that focus on being able to evolve is really, really important. And you know, with cloud technology as well, you know, you you can pay for stuff on demand. I mean, obviously, when you get to a large scale, you like to have dedicated stuff because you know it's um, cheaper. But you know, you really need to understand: is it working for you? Does it work for your business? You know, are you are you getting the outcomes that you need to get in order for this to be sustainable or not? And I think keeping that focus, which is getting the right insights into the into your business partners as quickly as possible, I mean th- th- that pays for itself, right? So it's about taking those small incremental steps, and I guess that you know that that, that comes back to that. Um, like data liberation, you know, when you liberate the data that you've got. Like, and I'll explain, like in an enterprise stuff can be stored in multiple different databases, which means you've got multiple different teams to engage. And so if you need a report, sometimes it'll be like, oh, no, I can't get you a report till you know, three months' time, you know, back in the day. Um, Whereas now, you know, it should be part of your installation and setup of a new asset. If you collect data, you know, how are you liberating that data, um, you know, with context to where it needs to go, right? You've captured the data for a reason. Like we know this, right? Like when you sit there and you're talking to everyone, you might be doing a CX journey or something, a customer experience journey, And you collect data for a reason. You don't unnecessarily collect data. Um, Sometimes you've got to get consent for the data too. So like you've really thought about it (laughs) because you've got to involve legal and a whole bunch of people to to, to get this data. So you know why you're getting the data. It doesn't make sense to keep it locked up for months in a database. You know, you really need to be able to get it out. And I, I feel like in the 90s, each and every single application had its own reporting capability. Do you remember? Like you'd sit there and you'd be like, oh, there's the dashboard feature of Jira or some Oracle database or whatever, and like all the reporting is like in the app. Whereas now, um, because we want we, we want to have context and we want to share insights, not just business insights but operational insights, um, you know, hey, when that system went down, it impacted our revenue by X. Like that's a really powerful insight for you to go, well, hold on a second, we should really fix that. We, you know, there's a business reason for me to fix that. I can't just ignore that thing that breaks, you know, once a month when we do something. So so from that context, um, you know, the sooner we can unleash the data and it be part of setting up you know, whatever it is that you're building for your business, it has to be part of, you know, installation, not, hey, I'm going to do this later and don't worry about it. I'll put reporting at the end. Have you noticed that? They're like, oh no, we'll just do reporting. But you knew in the beginning when you went to legal or you went to get sign-off, why you were capturing the data in the first place. So really, shouldn't leave it at the end. We should like be doing it simultaneously to make sure the data's out. Mm.
0: How, how do you think about, so a lot of the way a, a, a fair number of people are, are working with data mesh is that there's use cases and then those drive, you know, whatever data products are created to serve those use cases. So a lot of what you're talking about is kind of embedding the, um, the data folks into these teams and they're connecting with each other, is it that they're kind of talking about what are the necessary use cases and what would be needed to support those? And that's how those emerge or or, or is it, cause there are some teams that usually when, when they tell me they're doing this, there's also the, our, our, and our consumption is below expectations, but there's some teams where they're just sharing out data because they think that this data should be shared and there isn't a specific yes. use case it's tied to. And so then they're like, it, we don't know if it's because people aren't um, structuring it in such a way that people are able to consume it or that consumers can really understand what it actually is or the art of the possible or things like that. But, like, yeah. how do you think about tying that to, to use cases?
1: Well, I think it's, it is it is ultra important that it is tied to use cases, especially, and I guess that's probably maybe the way that we're building. Um, we're building based on, you know, driving value uh, for our customers and to drive value for our customers um you know we will you know have data mainly you know when I think about this it's operational data so if something goes wrong or someone needs a hand um there will be data that's required so that someone can assist someone proactively not you know after they call us because that's too late right so um so effectively, you know, those use cases need to happen, and I think it's really important for when we're when you're planning out a, a journey, like a customer journey, and maybe you've got scenarios where things, um, you know, can happen. We where, where you know you need assisted an assisted journey, or you potentially need to be able to. Build resiliency into your into your product. Um, you know, data should be involved in that because you're, you know, what data do you need to be able to resolve something that isn't, you know, straight through, and 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 that that comes back to making sure that they are included in providing advice. We won't necessarily. Um, see what data sees, and this comes back to the personas, right? If someone has been a data expert for a very long time, and I find this when I talk to some of my colleagues who help us, um, you know, they see things incredibly differently and that perspective helps us to go, oh, you mean we could know that earlier? <laughs> and i will be like, yeah, well, we, we capture it here. Oh, well, if we knew that, well, we could actually – not need to hand this off to someone in, you know, um, in a support line. We, we could actually resolve this for the customer because we have the data to be able to make it, a, a, you know, an outcome. And so I think it's really important that they are included um, in in that process and it's not, you know, it's not all about reporting. It's about, you know, getting that insight and having that insight at the right time to be able to drive outcomes.
0: Yeah. Um, Tim Tischler talked a little bit about having kind of show and tell around like, here's here's my data quantum, here's my data product, whatever you want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was very much a, um, you know, so much of our meetings are, there is a specific agenda as to here's what we need to cover versus let's exchange context. And so yeah. I think having the those scheduled times to exchange context is actually a a valuable thing, but it's hard to to necessarily get buy-in for that. So we can circle back to uh, the the personas, like you just mentioned, and and driving buy-in. So I did want to make sure that we we talk as well about driving buy-in with execs for data mesh, right? Not just the domain owner exec, not the, the line of business execs, but like the kind of central the the you know c-suite the cio cto cdo ceo cmo cfo all all the fun different ones you know the heads of whatever that how do you get them bought in again because so many people are struggling with these because it tends to be we're asking you to take on additional responsibilities and we're asking you for additional help and we may be giving you additional resources but you know we're coming to you and saying we're doing this thing and the result of that is you now have more work and you might not know how to do this work and so like how did you prevent that or how are you working with them to you know whether that's you've optimized the processes so it doesn't create more work for them up front or you know mm-hmm. that you are providing them with the resources or how is that working
1: yeah, I, I think there's a there's a few things in that. Like I mentioned, we have um, an excellent um, data team who support us and they, you know, effectively are like product owners to build products and we work with them to provide insights. And so, yeah, I think a big part of this, you know, as someone who owns, owns the technology stack that, you know, captures the data and then needs to send that data to, you know, to, you know, landing zones or, um, you know, appropriate uh, BigQuery um, storage is that they, you know, I need to communicate with them on, you um, how to make it easier for us, right? So if my team know how to get the data out in the way, so whether you want to call that ingestion patterns or whatever, um, it's really important that my team clearly are trained and understand on how to get the data out. Also, to make it easier rather than, um, you know, thinking that this is, oh, well, it's my technology stack and having this ownership view It's really about, well, hold on a second. If I've got a data partner working with the business domain and I have code that, you know, can pull out data from my asset and I've got a data engineer, then it makes sense for that person to be able to distribute engineering on my asset, right? So if I set it up, it's all safe. I've got monitoring on it. It's it's where it needs to be. And we go, right, we're now in production if there needs to be additional insight with context that comes out, they can actually go into a repo, do a pull request on the on the code that's required for the um, data pipe, um, and then, you know, we approve it. We, we review it to make sure it's not going to break the assets, because that's what I'm responsible for. But there's no reason why we can't um, have this ability for them to update something rather than send me a request and wait for, you know, until I'm ready. Right. Cause that's not fast. So, so it depends on, you know, at what part of the life cycle that you're at with, you know, getting your data out. But I think, you know, when it comes to, um, the ask on teams by having a conversation and by having this communication and relationship, we're able to go, well, hold on a second. If you need to do something because you know it's going to provide valuable insights, how can I enable you to do that quickly if it's a small thing and you've got the capability to do it rather than us running around trying to, you know, oh, you've just given me three months' worth of work. may not be three months' worth of work, right? It's just that if you don't know and you haven't done it before, then you don't know how to set it up. And if you set it up in a way that other people can you know, be flexible about who does what in a safe way, then you're able to then, you know, um, get buy-in. And no one has an issue if, they, if they're going to provide a report to an executive that they don't have to manually stitch together um, and all they've got to do is one small pull request. I think they'll go, oh, I'll do the pull request because my energy is, <laughs> is much less. Um, you know, there's much less energy in doing a pull request than having to go and manually do something to get something out for an executive. So I think that's I think that's a key thing, working out how you're gonna work together um, in relation to the quantum of effort. But when someone comes to me and says, Hey, we need to do this report and we need or we need to get this data out and you know it's you're going to have to do some work i always look at it and and go great we're doing this because and you know the because becomes really important because um let's say for instance we talk about um you know enabling customers to have more affordable loans because of you know uh, a lower a lower risk rating let's say right? And so we have the ability to help lots more people in a really difficult financial climate to have a more affordable home loan. Um, And so we need this data to know who can we do that? Like how many people can we help? And so like having that context, it's like, yeah, okay, it's effort, but hold on a second, this is for our customers. And the outcome of that means that we're going to have happy customers who stay with us rather than Move. So when you look at it that way, um, you know, any effort that goes into doing it and if the effort is, you know, planned, like n- when I say planned, it's it's automation first. You think about how you're going to do it, not just this one time, but you're going to have to do this a lot of times. So how do we set this up so that we can continually do it? And so you, you are investing that effort. It is for a good cause. But next time you have to come and ask me a question or, or get something, you know, you can do a pull request and enable yourself.
0: And and the there, there are a couple of things that I want to poke at a little bit in there. Um, yeah. One was, um, so when you said that the data team are kind of the product owners, that's going to be a big red flag for a lot of people.
1: Oh, okay. Technical product owners.
0: Well, and you talked about embedding these people into the domain so they have enough domain knowledge to to know yeah. what this is. It's not a central data team. And so, again, it's not that they're a bottleneck because you're pushing all these requests from all the domains in. Correct. Um, but, but the other aspect that I think is um, the thing where, where it's kind of funny because Um, there are a lot of places where people are just kind of jealous of, of, uh, their setups. And I think this is going to be one where you're, you're talking about when somebody is making a request and you say, well, what is this for? Okay. This is great for the greater whole in a lot of places. People aren't going to do that. You know, you can say, because they're selfish and things like that, it's because they're not incentivized to play into the greater Mm -hmm. whole They're you know, their promotion, their pay, their whatever is based on the outcomes of their domain, not the outcomes of, uh, of the greater organization, the greater company or things like that. So
1: yeah,
0: how do you think about that? You know, it's, it's maybe a challenge where you, it's, it's difficult for you to say, well,
1: uh, yeah.
0: we're not in a selfish organization. So how would we, and not even necessarily selfish in the bad way, but you know, people really focusing on me first.
1: Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, I'm sure it's everywhere. Um, I don't know. I find it to be, I mean, if I, if I abstract this out, because this would probably be a, be a conversation, a, you know, definitely a cup of tea conversation, but I, you know, if, if the company isn't doing well, then bad things happen. Like you, so, you know, um, if someone felt like that, I would probably have a conversation with them to say, hey, you know what, everyone's just going through COVID and whatever company that you work at, there would have been impacts. And so, you know, if you have the opportunity to make a difference to your um, your business to make sure that, you know, Either your customers are looked after and or you know core metrics um all of that benefits every single one of us and so if there was if there was ever which you know again, I guess in where i am you know we we have very clear goals and it's really understood you know what what what's the right thing to do um yeah, I would be having a conversation about how they're connecting into their company's vision and, and and the customer's purpose because you know ultimately it benefits everybody. But I do understand that there are people who are so tied to um you know their particular individual siloed goals. And, you know, I I definitely feel that, you know, how we're structured resolves some of those problems because just remember um, the data lead works with us to get a domain data product Um, and by the very nature if there's data there that needs to be put into an integrated data into an integrated um, data quantum then effectively the team has access to be able, you know, and obviously it's very regulated, but the team has access to be able to take that data for another business pers- purpose, especially if it's you know championed by an executive. So it's on no effort of the of that particular domain owner to then worry about a data quantum. They're responsible for their own data, and so I, you know. If we did have that, I guess there would be, you know, this ability for us to work around it because of the matrix. So we've got people who are responsible for data enablement as a whole um, in specific areas. And you know, they need to work together. They've got joint KPIs to to drive outcomes for executive level. And so I feel like potentially how we're set up has resolved some of those issues. I'm not saying that it never existed. It, it might have. Um, but I would still, as a leader, be going and having a chat with someone.
0: Like I said, though, I think, I think you're lucky there. I think Scott Hawkins talked about, like, going in and, and rearranging people's KPIs and things like that to make it so that it's possible. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, well, and, and that, uh, again, I think you're going to have some people that are jealous and maybe you'll have some people that are sending the resumes over your way.
1: Well, you know, send your resumes over. That's, uh, we're definitely hiring. <laughs> maybe I'll add that as a call to action at the end. Yeah.
0: So, um, we, we've kind of touched on a lot of the things that we were planning on touching, not necessarily like going super deep into one exact bullet point or anything, but, one thing that I did want to talk about, and you, you you talked about it a little bit earlier, about maintaining the information sharing, and that things might change underneath, and that even processes might change, and things like that. But the spirit of what you're trying to do doesn't change. But a lot of people are really struggling with like, how do I how do I actually share a, a consistent ability to access my information for somebody outside of my domain right and so like data apis analytical apis you and i were talking about that that you think that you're you're hitting on some things that are really working well um because a lot of people are really really struggling you know how do you do cross uh data quantum domains how do you do or uh queries how do you do um how do you do versioning how do you do all of those things so um, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of open up the floor to you for it, it, wherever you want to go within the, those set of questions within but like, the rounds, know, Yeah. How do I, I, how I do <laughs> how,
1: how how do, well, I think, you know, and, and it might be, you know, my perspective is someone like I'm responsible for an integration layer. Right. So, um, we are effectively the gateway to the data, um, And so, you know, when we work with data, there are some data sources that need to be shared wider than the domains um, that I, you know, look after. And so, pragmatically, you need to look at, okay, well, hold on, you know, is this something that should be a service provided wider than my area? And if it is, then, you know, that's when we start to have these, you know, really good conversations with our data team about, well, well perhaps this is something that, you know, needs to be sitting with you um, because it's a service and because, you know, calculations need to be accurate and we can't have three or four of them, right? So we need like pragmatic decisions about where things need to go. And if it's reusable, um, you know, that's even better, right? Right because you have one place to update things if things change, right? So if the context needs to move or a calculation needs to move, there's one place. Um, And that doesn't mean that it started with data. I think, you know, it could start with my team going, oh, hey, we've got this bit of data that, you know, we're going to build this thing and um, we're gonna try it out and see if it works and 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 we can do that. Um, but if it starts to get you know broader use or whatever, then you know we really need to think about where it sits and it should be with, you know, data um, and, and having reusable APIs. I mean, not just for consistency and integrity and all of those things that we love. Um, it's also about maintainability and 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 looking after operations. And so I think, um, you know, this comes back to this evolution because it might not start with data. It might start in a domain with a specific use case, and and then it might need to. It might be really good that everybody needs it, and you've got to work out how you're going to um, scale it and and have it with. You know the experts and have all that data governance on it. Obviously built in. Again, we're really everything is code. Um, but I think I think that's a big thing for me. It's really really important because we're coming into a really amazing age of um, you know a lot of data, like open banking. Um, you know, there's a lot of data, and so um, if you if you look at organizations and how they were previously set up, everybody needs access to that data and, um, you know, calculations and logic behind that, you know, need to be, there needs to be some governance, but, you know, how it starts and how it ends up being a data product, which again I appreciate is contentious, but um, that effectively is a service that, you know, you need to look at it. If there's only one customer, it might sit in a domain. And if it's, if it's, uh, you know, multiple domains that need it, then it might need to sit somewhere again with the ability for people to work together on changes. So, I, because every, you know, we like everything to be code. I think it's really important that the governance is built into your SDLC, and you're able to work together on. On how, how that's maintained and and tested but I definitely feel that if you've if you've worked out how to if you've worked out how to aggregate something for a metric why do it why do it five times Why have five things to maintain
0: how, how do you think about that um actually like versioning and things like that? Is it just that you have good enough communication that it's not a huge challenge or? or
1: No, we definitely have standards, like versioning standards and, you know, no breaking changes. Like how do we, you know, um, just like any kind of API. Um, So when you look at any service that you have already, um, someone provides a service, that service should have standards. Um, that should be clearly articulated, and in your community of practice, there should be there should be someone who looks after that charter, and you know it gets fed into your education uh, for your engineering as well. Like it's definitely something that needs to be, um, yeah, regardless of whether it's an API or it's a service, the the actual standards around those services need to be clearly agreed as a community for sure. Um, there's nothing worse than you're in production and some you do a patch because you need to patch regularly, um, for cyber security and you have a breaking change like it's chaos, right? Like, no way. So, uh, I
0: you know, I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of folks around trying to build the APIs, because that's going to be, that's been something that's, that's difficult. And and if they have questions about that, I'm assuming they can kind of come to you as well and ask those questions and yeah. about like, what are your standards? You know, I think a lot of people just want to see somebody's standards. They just want those published somewhere. They just want to not have to invent the stuff, the whole cloth from themselves. So if, if your team's okay with doing that, you know, you can even throw them over the wall to me and I'll. I'll, uh, remove all the, uh, the naming and things like that and just be like, here is an example.
1: But, um, <laughs> d- I definitely think we've taken key principles from some major players. So I would definitely be able to help with, um, Google and, and Amazon have also published stuff. So really we've taken our principles from, you know, the tech leaders, um, ourselves, yeah. but I can definitely, I'm always happy to, um, to help.
0: Awesome. So I I wanted to wrap up in general around um, the question around like we've we've kind of talked about it a little bit. And and so much of this is like business continuity and maintaining like good momentum while removing your bottlenecks, while removing your roadblocks and that it's okay to not have what you're going to have in five years set now right? That, that it's, this is the thing that I I find with data people that they're so allergic to the concept in general of, well, it's not perfect. And we know it's not perfect. And we're still going to, we're still going to get it out there because we're going to tell you how it's not perfect. We're going to communicate about this. We're going to actually have that, that concept. So like, how have you thought about approaching the, the governance and how do you like maintain like you're you're in a highly regulated industry so you actually you absol- absolutely absolutely uh, obviously have to maintain like a lot of good governance around that aspect but like governance yeah. has historically been a bottleneck so how do you make sure to keep the bottlenecks out but keep the the necessary and the good in
1: in oh, i think look i think this is a challenge we haven't completely cracked yet um i do know um you know Our technical director, Adam Gould, is charged with um, simplifying um, our governance and he is facing into it now. I think principally what we've tried to do is look at where does this where does this governance need to sit in our existing flow of work? So An example would be you want to change something. And, you know, I I mentioned changing stuff as code before. Um, You know, code can have immense amounts of documentation that can be automated out of your repo. So, you know, when it comes to writing documents first, is that really what we want to do? Maybe not. But as soon as we code something, if we can have the document available and it's in a non-production environment, then we're in a position that we have good governance over, you know, what it is that we're doing. We have good governance in, you know, decisions that we make and, and design decisions that we make. So if we're doing something that's wholesale and quite large, And during that designing process, you know, the intent of why we're capturing data um, is automatically documented. And so I think where previously we had this, you know, you've got to have this particular form filled out and it went into this particular group of people, it was additional work, right? But actually to build something, you would naturally be documenting this information, and it would have to go through checks before you could actually move it forward, right? You go through code review, you go through um, you know publication of your of um, and, and codification of your work as well as you know the live the live code itself within the environment um has documentation and you also have logging and monitoring and you capture lots of trace from things uh, that that are working and so when we look at governance it's about what's the intent and i know we again we spoke about this before what's the intent of the of of the you know rule so to say What's the intent, and are we able to meet that intent with what we do today? And if not, where where is it most valuable that we highlight this particular um, rule? You know, do we need? Is this something that's preventative? And if it is, then obviously we don't need it at the end. We need to kind of think about it in advance. But if it's if it's something that part of the SDLC then is there a check that we can do that's automated to make sure that it's done and then where do we send that you know information so that it's recorded in a space where it's got data as a data governance as a context but it's actually not creating any extra effort or work. I find with most governance it's cut co- it's there because something bad happened this one time, right? Something bad has happened, whether it's data security or whatever. So really, it's a list of good practice. And how do you put that good practice into your daily routine and record it and provide it, you know, at the at the right point? Yeah,
0: I've used this example a couple of times because I find it very, very funny. Um, so I, I heard this on a podcast, actually an Australian podcast, but uh, they were talking about um, the uh, there was this guy in Japan and he was staying in a hotel and he took um, a couple of crabs that he had caught down at the beach and he cooked them in the electric, coi- um, electric kettle that he had in the room. And he did that a couple of times and it just stank up the room, just completely stank up the room. And so the hotel tried to charge him and they went back and forth and he said, you didn't tell me I couldn't. And and the court obviously just threw it out and said, this is not like it says on the kettle to not use it in these weird ways. The kettle itself isn't going to say, don't use it to cook, you know, this or this or this or this. This is common sense and this is how you approach this. So exactly what you're talking about of like, treat people like adults and tell them what you're trying to achieve, right? I, I, I think this is, this is something I actually struggle a lot with of when I'm communicating to people because they think that I'm attached to a certain way of doing something. So I always try and tell them, here is my target outcome. Here's a way that I came up off my head of how we might achieve that. I don't care if we do that or not. I'm not at all precious about the how. I'm precious about the what. What are we actually trying to achieve here? right? And that's kind of where I think we have to be with data mesh because we're still really early in figuring this out. So we can't be precious about this is the way. It's like, is this trying to actually address what we're trying to do? Does it work for us for right now? And um, Shane Gibson, who's uh, over in, in New Zealand, on his episode talked about within Agile um, and applying Agile to, to data, so much of this is about taking practices and trying them out. And they may work for you and they may work for you for right now. And then all of a sudden you, you reevaluate it six, nine months down the road. And you go, it's not working for us anymore. What's wrong? Nothing. The thing that you were trying to solve for is now part of your process by default, or it's not a, a necessary business requirement. So get it out of the checklist. You know, I, I wrote down when you were talking about the we used to have a checklist, automate the checks, right? Like exactly what you're talking about of, of make it so that somebody yeah. knows that there is a challenge or there is a problem or, Hey, you're at step seven of the SDLC of our general SDLC. And this thing should generally be completed by step three or four. You're at seven. Yeah. There's a problem. Let's have a conversation. Let's figure out, is this really necessary or exactly what you're talking yeah. about? Sorry. It's just, yes. Like yeah. summing and, all that and up. I
1: know, and I know it sounds like, I mean, I know it sounds like common sense, but like, I think, you know, sometimes when we, and this is for lots of large corporates, what happens is we put in this. We put in this new thing and then we go, oh, we're going to put in a, a, you know, a new KPI. So we're going to put in a new HR, you know, structure, this hard structure for um, this new KPI. Let's say it's data governance. And then they set up a whole team Then they get out all their processes and they set all these processes up. And then, you know, before you know it, you've got this, th- this, this whole structure in along with a whole bunch of extra work, but actually it doesn't necessarily um, drive the outcome that you're after, which is the common sense of, Hey, you know, is it secure? Is it unique? Um, Do we have lineage? Do we, you know, all of those things come through an existing process called change and, you know, how are we meeting the the automated checks on that would be what we would do normally especially when everything is as code and so I think um you know there are other things that have to you know depending on regulations that have to be done but it does it involve you know so much overhead um for 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 that one thing I mean I'm, I'm I've picked data governance but as, a, as an example, but, you know, you could apply that to, to many things, right, um, where people decide that they're going to put in this whole structure um, and process, etc. and you kind of need to go in, in, in new organizations where your ecosystems, um, do you need to do that? Does that structure actually help you drive the outcome is my question. And so, yeah, it comes back to intent.
0: Well, and it's like the um, the whole world's complete knowledge. I don't know if you've ever seen this joke, but there's a book that's like the things that they teach you at Harvard Business School. And then there's another book, the things they don't teach you at Harvard Business School. So that's the complete of of all world knowledge. And so much of of the way I think people have approached governance is, you know, nested, 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 if then structures, right? Of, hmm. you know, if this, then this, if this, then this versus like, hey, does it satisfy this? If it doesn't, we're having a conversation, right? Like yeah. if you meet these these five criteria, instead of if this, then, the, you know, this super, super complicated logic that then becomes cumbersome to update right. and understand. And, you know, you've got all this stuff versus like, hey, it, it meets these five, okay, it passes. It doesn't meet this one, it doesn't pass, but like, that's not the end of the world. Like that governance isn't, you know, um, yay or nay, that everything is a one or a zero. It's like, does this, does this mask the PII? No, but it doesn't have PII. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no problem. Right. I know it, it's so, it, it is so funny because I, um, you know, there's some things that we, we do all the time. Um, and when you have this separate you know, we'll call it a checklist. When you have a separate checklist, each and every person takes that checklist, just like I mentioned before about silos. They take that checklist and they go, oh, all right, well, you need me to now mask the PPI data. Great, I'm going to come up with this amazing masking solution. And, you know, in comes a whole bunch of extra tooling. and, And you're like, well, hold on a second, we solved this before, right? So, you know, it's almost you know, taking it to that next level. And this is, you know, why I think automation um, and putting this into a normal process is important. You can actually simplify your business and the number of tools that you're using and, you know, how you're going to achieve the outcome, you know, by especially working with your data partners and security uh, in, in relation to certain things to go, hey, for this, We've got PPI data, and we need to mask it. No problem. This is the pattern. Here's how you use it. Oh, fantastic! All right, I'll do that. Oh, now I've passed the the test. Excellent. I can progress to the next, you know, checkpoint in my engineering. But yeah, it's um, it's, it's all about
0: template, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Make it easy. That's yeah, right.
0: I, I, yeah, I, I and I kind of think about what adidas talked about and i'm not sure if i read it right or anything but i've been talking about this that i think it's it's kind of revolutionary in a certain sense of how they're doing their masking because every column by default is is marked as pii and then somebody has to unclick right and so it automatically says everything is pii and so then uh, uh you know a product owner isn't worried about did i get all of my columns it's like oh hey why is date Masked on this. Oh, I just missed. I didn't click it. I'm sorry. You know, I'm gonna unmask it now. Okay, yeah. it's unmasked, right? Like that, and that you make it that easy of a process too. Of you know, it's not like this complicated thing of going. It's like you make the UI to just go. Oh, okay. I'm gonna unclick this. This isn't a big deal, or you know, or yeah. and we've talked about like automated access granting via RBAC and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, and that that becomes overkill in a lot of cases because so much of it is just like hey, I need to use this and here is my exact use case. Is this in compliance? Yes, it's in compliance. Okay, I'm going to give you manual access and that you give somebody an easy way to give that manual access and that there's an easy question asking. There's a person who who has that, that you don't have to make all of this completely automated, but that you make the ability to ask the question automated, that you make it so that there's a a very, very fast path on everything. Mm -hmm. Like it's just... Yeah. So, so much of what you're talking about is, is being pragmatic and data people are often not pragmatic. So I I think it's that common sense thing, but it doesn't feel like it's very common because people haven't been able to be pragmatic because there have been these rules and restrictions and this is the way it is done. And here is my proclamation versus what do you need? Like, Figure out what yeah. you actually need to do and and work from there.
1: What, yeah. What are you trying? Yeah. What are you trying to accomplish? And what do we need to be? You know. What do we need to consider and be safe about? And and what are the risks? And you you know having those conversations, you know, like really makes it so much easier for you to um, enable your your business partners. Like, and if there are. Blockers, you know. I think you know we all get them where people are like, oh no, it's too, like especially you know in finance, it's too risky. <laughs> and you're like, hold on a second, let's let's assess the risks. You know, no one has access unless they're meant to have access. It's masked. It's secure. It's you know, like what are the risks, and you you need to go through that, and what would make us feel more comfortable or lower the risk. Um, you know, of of whatever the 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 piece is. What guardrails do we need to have in place? And, you know, do we have mitigations for for things? But having that conversation once, right? Getting consensus is awesome. Um and then building something, you know, the guardrails and and the things that you require um to to be compliant once and getting everybody to use it is so much better than us having to wait in a queue for sign off for things, you know?
0: Exactly. Yeah. So.
1: Cause you can't do real time data when you've got to get in a queue. Like, yeah.
0: Um, so we we've covered a whole lot of things. Uh, it's been a, a very uh, fun conversation tough. kind of bouncing around a lot. Is there any way that you'd like to wrap up the conversation or any way, anything that we didn't cover that you think we should have or.
1: Um, no, I think we covered heaps. Um, it was, I I thought it was really good. And, um, I definitely wrote down a note here for a call to action. Yes. If you liked what you heard, uh, we are hiring, please, uh, lean in, um, uh, lean in to us uh, and you can do that. I am on LinkedIn. Um, obviously Scott and I are connected down McDonald, but, um, if you really want to play on a data mesh, then please, by all means, come and do some evolution with us.
0: Well, you you answered my last question that I typically ask, so I, I will drop your your LinkedIn in the in the show notes as well to make it easy for folks. But um, and I'll drop even the career page if you want in there. Um, but again, Adele, this has been such a, a great conversation. So I really thank you for the time today, and thank you everyone as well out there for listening.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott.
0: I'd again like to thank my guest today, Adele McDonald, customer and origination lead at ANZ+. Plus. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.